0: You're listening to the Sermon Audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Well, happy Christmas Eve. If I was going to give you a gift tomorrow, and let's say I was, I was going to give you, I don't know, how about a gift card? Let's pretend I'm going to give you a gift card, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, or somewhere in the middle. I'm going to give you a gift card tomorrow to a restaurant. Let me ask, would you rather I pick a restaurant that is a one-star restaurant or a gift card to a five-star restaurant? I'm giving you the choice. Which one would you take? Kids are right. Five it is. My guess is most of us would agree. Yes, of course, I want, if you're going to give me a gift card, send me to a five-star place, my man, not one of these one-star joints. Well, that is except for a few of you refined food snobs in the room who say to themselves, well, I mean, if you're going to be giving me a gift card, you might as well give me a gift card to one of those Michelin-rated restaurants. Now, give me just a nod of the head if you have any idea what I mean when I say Michelin-rated restaurants. Okay, not so many in here. I guess everybody came last, for last service because everybody... I didn't know anything about Michelin-rated restaurants until just a few days ago, and this is what I found out. Michelin-rated restaurants is like a lifetime achievement for a place. It can make you for life. Michelin doesn't just make tires, they will also rate restaurants, and they will give you one, two, or three stars based on how wonderful you are. In the United States, there are only 13 three-star rated Michelin restaurants. According to their documentation, Michelin restaurants with a three-star are exceptional cuisine worth a special journey. So if I was going to give you a gift card and I decided I will splurge, I'm going to get you a gift card to a three-star Michelin-rated restaurant, turns out five of those are in New York City, so I'm going to go ahead and give you a gift of a flight. And since I'm going to take you and a special somebody and give you that gift card to the restaurant, tell me this, if I'm going to fly you anyway, would you rather I buy you economy or first class? (laughs) First class it is. The little lady knows what she's talking about. So we've got a three-star restaurant on a first-class ticket, and you're already going to go to New York City, so let's get you a hotel as well. Are we doing a one-star hotel or a five-star hotel? <laughs> yeah, now the, the kids are like, five-star with a pool. Thank you very much. You know, that's the way we all kind of like to do it, isn't it? If you're going to ask us, one-star or five-star, lower-class or upper-class, economy, or first class, the way that we like to do it is high level, upper class, five-star joints, man. If you're going to ask me, that's what I would like. Well, if I was going to give you a gift, that would be quite a gift, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, I won't be buying that for you. But if you need an idea for some of the local church staff and a way to make us feel special, I'm just, just kidding. No, we do like nice gifts, and if you're going to give somebody an option at a restaurant, most of us would pick this high-level establishment. And while I may pick that, and you may pick that, I wonder this evening, what would God pick? Is that how God does it? Tonight, I want to show you from Luke 2, three surprising choices God makes, which are very different than the way we make choices. In fact, I'd love for you to open Luke 2, because I want to show you very quickly three movements in this text that ought to surprise us. The first is this, a first-class savior is born in a second-class town. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, look at Luke 2. If you need something on your digital device, we're in the ESV. You can grab a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Look there in the text in verse 1 of chapter 2, and we're going to see some real powerhouse political figures named. Do you see Caesar Augustus there? He's commander and leader of the known world, top echelon royalty. Verse 2, Coronus, not quite at the level of Caesar Augustus, but this cat's still a governor. And then you get to 4, and we find... Joseph and Mary, not a prominent family at all. The only notable fact about this poor peasant family is they have some relational connection to David there at the end of four. King David, now that's royalty. But it's this Joseph taking his pregnant Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it's that city that is a shock to us in this first section, because did you notice That in both verse 4 and verse 11, this is called the city of David. The city of David. But wait a minute. If you're Caesar Augustus, or if you're Corinus, or if you're David himself, tell me what city in Israel would you be visiting if you were only going to be there for one night? I assure you, it was not Bethlehem. That would have been Jerusalem. That's where any first class leader would want to be. That's where any king would want to visit. But what we're saying is, excuse me, what we're seeing is a first class savior is born in a second class town. I mean, sure, there's this cryptic prophecy from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, something about Bethlehem there. But for other readers, for us today, we would be asking, Why in the world would God send the first-class Savior to a second-class town? That's not the only surprise. Let's keep looking at where the Savior is going to be sleeping. We're going to find a five-star Savior sleeping in a one-star manger. Look at verse 6. We find pregnant Mary is now giving birth to her first child, and she wraps the child in swaddling clothes. Some believe the swaddling clothes is a call out to royalty. That's what they do with royal babies. But then look where they put that baby in the swaddling clothes when it's time to lay him down. In a manger. A manger. A feeding trough for donkeys. That's right. Hee-haw, hee-haw, and all that stuff. That's where the baby is placed. Why in the world would a five-star Savior be sleeping in a one-star manger? Because that's not how we would do it. But that's the memory that Mary shared with Luke. And as he was putting this book together, she would know she was there. So we've got a first-class Savior Born in a second-class town, we've got a five-star Savior sleeping in a one-star manger. But look at the third surprise. We've got this high-class Savior being announced to lower-class shepherds. Look at verse 8. We are introduced to some of the most overlooked, culturally despised people in all of Israel. The stinky shepherds. Shepherds were not thought well of. They were quite despised. In fact, they had such a poor reputation in court, they could not give testimony, and it would would not be seen as credible. And yet, of all the people that God is going to make an announcement to about His Son, it's a bunch of smelly shepherds. Kids, if you cared about the popularity ladder and you were at school with the shepherds, let's just say you wouldn't want to be eating at the lunch table with them. Oh, I'm sure the shepherds had a place to eat at lunch, but it was the smelly section and nobody would want to be around them. At recess, you didn't play games with the shepherds because kids would make fun of you for it. And yet, an angel, Gabriel I presume, makes an announcement. And who does he make the announcement to? A bunch of insignificant shepherds. The shocking announcements there in verse 11. Today, born in the second-class city, Bethlehem, is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a one-star manger. And it's the shepherds who learn that he is Savior, Christ, and Lord. Well, what I'm wanting you to see on this Christmas Eve is This isn't how you and I would do it. This isn't how we would expect the king to come. But this is exactly how God does it. And it's those lower class shepherds which hear, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The shepherds, they hightail it to check it out. They talk to Mary. And she had treasured it all in her heart. Did you see that there in verse 19? She's pondering it, etching it into her memory the way some of you moms and dads have with your own kids, thinking this is an important moment. I never want to forget it. And many years later, when Luke sat Mary down and said, will you tell me about that first night? This is what she remembered that there were some shepherds who came and told her that an angel had explained the birth of her baby and that a choir had sung glory to God in the highest. And I wonder, as Luke sat there with Mary so many years later, might he have asked her, hey, Mary, why did God do it like this? Why did God send his Savior? to a second-class town, in a one-star manger, to lower-class shepherds. I wonder if Mary connected those dots. I wonder if we connect those dots tonight. For friends, this is exactly how God does it. See Jesus was born in real history. He was really in a family of royalty, and yet he was born in near anonymity. Not born in Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Not born to a prominent family, but a poor one. Not born in a palace, rather put in a manger. Not announced to priests or kings, but announced to shepherds. See, as far as we're concerned, Jesus is born in the wrong city, put in the wrong crib, born to the wrong family, and announced to the wrong people. That's exactly how God does it. Because God isn't looking for a bunch of self made, significant, macho type people to bring his message to. God loves to pick the lowly, he loves to pick the insignificant. He loves to pick the places that everybody else overlooks so that 1 Corinthians 1.29, so that no one may boast in the presence of God. And on this Christmas Eve, dear friends, he's doing the same thing. Here we are in an insignificant town, Shawnee, Kansas. Who's even heard of this place? We don't have any three-star Michelin-rated restaurants here. And yet, in a little building, off the beaten path, I mean, good grief, who even knows how to get to Mill Creek Church? Gleason Road, is that a real place? Insignificant place. Insignificant preacher. Communicating to you the most significant message of all time. Dear friends, you found yourself here, and I'm telling you, not based on any credentials of me, but only under the authority of the Bible, the message that Jesus is Savior, Christ and Lord, has impact for your eternity. Right now, if you don't believe in Christ, you could surrender to Him and be saved forever. Forever. The most significant message on this Christmas Eve delivered in this insignificant little place. This is how God does it. So as I finish, I wonder a question for you. What will you do with how God chooses to do things? For those here who aren't Christians. My hope is that you would consider Jesus Christ as Savior, Christ, and Lord. For those of you here who are Christians, perhaps like Mary, you ought to ponder this message. For others here, like the shepherds, perhaps you should share it. For all of us, let us be like the angels. And sing it. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace with those with whom he is pleased. Good news. God loves to take insignificant people and save them for his glory. Are you insignificant tonight? Good news if you are. God loves you. Pray with me. God thanks for Luke 2 and the chance to consider these truths. And now I pray that this word would be understood, believed, and applied. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.